Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 172. Would anybody like to buy a home office? Is anybody <laughs> in the market for a nice home office with very few mechanical defects? Brand any, new furnace. <laughs> any more. Few mechanical <laughs> defects anymore. Yes, this show is late. This is the reason I don't put up a Patreon link or a tip jar or anything. It's just I, I would feel guilty about taking people's money when... <laughs> When life gets in the way of this dinky little show, <laughs> when it becomes impossible Which to fucking do it. To be almost weekly at this point. Oh my God. So, yes, we, we moved into the new home office two and a half years ago. Just about. I think everything in this house with a moving part, except for doors. Uh, washing has, machine. Wash it. All right. Don't jinx the fucking washing machine. <laughs> everything else has, has had to be replaced. It was a, a week ago Friday. First of all, uh, we've, we've got one of those heat pump systems. Uh, if you live in the southern United States, there's a chance you have one of these. Or if you live in a condo built in the 80s, uh, mm. if you're not familiar, it's a heat pump is like central air. But sometime in the 80s, somebody had the genius idea, hey, you know, if you just turn it in reverse, I bet that you can put heat into a house, which is great if you live anywhere except the northeastern United States or perhaps Siberia. <laughs> because <laughs> Anywhere where it gets cold. Yeah, because then there's no heat from the outside to dump in. But uh, everybody put it in in the 80s because, oh, cool, we only have to put in one heating system. And the one that we had here was ancient. Uh, it turns out it was like 16, 17 years old. We didn't know that when we moved in. When we somebody inspected it, it's like, oh, this has far more years behind it than it has in front of it. But yeah, when we moved into the, the new home office, and I'm sure we complained about this on a show after yeah. we did the move-in, the fucking thing didn't work. No. <laughs> the fan didn't spin. It wasn't doing anything. Somebody tried to meatball some kind of repair to override something because they thought it would save energy and seemed to have used chewing gum and a bobby pin to hold it together. And uh, yeah, it was a definite meatball surgery by by <laughs> a serial killer of some point. Was, yeah, probably. It, it was more attempted murder than attempted surgery. <laughs> it was... So we kind of work it, but I've never trusted the fucking thing. It's literally every morning... Since it's both the air conditioner and the heating, I come downstairs and look out the back window as soon as it's light to make sure the damn fan is spinning. Rob spends every morning giving our, our HVAC system the side eye, and it gives it back. Oh, not anymore. <laughs> I, I, I won. I outlived it, despite my personal habits and all over-under bets to the contrary. I think it killed itself because it's in mourning over the departed water heater. <laughs> <laughs> they could both fuck themselves, pieces of shit. So, they just wanted to be together. So yeah, sure enough, a week ago Friday, I look out and the thing, it's, it's not spinning. And because the thing... It's, I'm already it, at work. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and in my mind, I'm like, I could be paranoid because I will stare out at the thing when it's it's got a weird computer-controlled de-ice and then start cycle. So constantly, I'm looking out the window getting an ulcer. It's like, it's not spinning, it's not spinning. Oh, it's okay. This time it's 45 minutes, no spinning. So I call the HVAC guys. They're like, oh, it could be de-icing. It's like, all right, I'll give it another 20 minutes. Oh, sure enough, it's not spinning. It's like it's like when you're sleeping with, with the, the, the snoring. Sometimes you'll stop breathing for whole minutes at a time. I'm like, all right, I'm pretty sure this time he's going to start again. <laughs> well, and then you do, and it's okay. I think it's my brain trying to make the <laughs> make the self abuse stop. It's like no, just just give up. It's not going to get any better than this. He's never going to go into the light. It's he's right. never going to put down the beer. <laughs> the nicotine's never going to stop coming. So, 
So yeah, sure enough, uh, that happens, and Amanda's good enough to finagle a half day at work for the HVAC guys to come. And yeah, it's uh, what do they tell you? It was oh, it's definitely the motor. Which will and be it like, might be the compressor, but we can't really tell because we can't get the fan to spin up. And so have you thought about just buying a whole new system? And I said, yes, sir. Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've talked with people at my day job, and they're all saying, oh, yeah, I had a furnace put in. It was five, $6,000. I'm like, Ugh, all right, it's a lot of money, but we've got it. Yeah. So we ask, yeah, just give us a quote. The heat pumps are not five, six thousand dollars. No, no. Uh, yeah, uh, the cheapest one was like seven that they quoted us. Uh, yeah, but that was like Steve's heat pump. <laughs> it's like they took corpses of like ours and hobbled together new fucking uh, new in air quotes Manny, new to you heating systems. Manny's discount heat pump. <laughs> <laughs> he comes here and gently blows warm air from his lungs upon you in the night. That spit. <laughs> Shh, you sleep now. Shh, shh, go back to sleep. <laughs> I don't like this one. <laughs> I'm sure it's got a personal touch, but <laughs> how does he cool you off? Oh, so so yeah, it was a case of all right, uh, fine. Uh, we've luckily <laughs> this happened on the weekend that we submitted our taxes. We yes. su- we submitted them early, so it's all right. We're getting a refund, so we can afford this horrible thing. So. In your mind, it's they will arrive, uh, you know, in a week and install, and it will be done. And that's not how it works. That was no. this past <laughs> Friday, um, and part of it is my fault because uh, I got uh, one of those computerized thermostats. We'll we'll call it a Nest because that's what it is. <laughs> I got a Nest thermostat and asked them to install it. Now, apparently, HVAC guys hate the Nest thermostat. And apparently, I'm an HVAC guy because now I do too. Um, <laughs> so the electrician came and wired everything up and they plugged it in. And I see him setting it up and he's going through. It's a dual fuel heating system. I'm like, we do not have two fuels in. <laughs> we don't have any form of. It's, it's electric. It's electric. Not, nope. <laughs> Nobody's even down there just rubbing sticks together next to it. It's yeah, <laughs> this, as far as I'm concerned, it's magic. Is that, But he's plowing along. So by the time it's all said and done, they're set up. And when they turn it on, sure enough, the heat pump will turn on. But when you look at the thing, it says, okay, you've got an electric heat pump and two gas furnaces. And I, I'm pretty what? sure I would notice that. <laughs> Uh, somebody would be billing me something. The association would have noticed that because they would have sent us a ceased and desist letter. Yeah, so so I'm trying to get the, the stupid goddamn thing configured. And keep in mind, I am a software engineer. And this is a computerized thermostat. And I'm capable of getting into it via web interface and my phone. Three different interfaces. I can't get the thing going. So I finally have to call for help. <laughs> they show up today and they can't figure it out. Um, they, it turns out a certain thing was wired wrong. So there yes. was nothing I could have done about that, uh, without electrocuting me. And then my brain could finally say, oh, okay, finally the abuse is over with. <laughs> but so they fixed the wiring and then they're like, oh no, this, uh, we're supposed to have this system aux heat. So when it gets really cold and the heat pump can't keep up, it fires up this big heating element and then say, no, there's no aux heat. You still have a gas furnace somewhere. <laughs> so what you need uh, is uh, something called a Nest Professional Code, uh, which these professionals uh, forgot. So, <laughs> so the thing still doesn't fucking work. Yeah. They still got to come back sometime this week to get that working. We're still mostly heating the house with cheap-ass wood pellets. Yes. So 
all I know is thank uh, God for cheap ass wood pellets. Yeah, what I know right now is um, <laughs> I I've written a check for five figures, <laughs> and there's a new big thing in the backyard, and if I give it about seven hours, the house will heat. Yes, <laughs> but that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, and it seems to know when we leave the house. I mean, whoever. Oh it, no, it doesn't. Oh, it's supposed to know when you. Well, leave it knew the, when, it knew when I left the house. Oh, Somehow no. it didn't know that, that you left the That's house. the thing I installed on your phone to keep eyes on you. That's oh, well, okay, fuck me. <laughs> I will, and nobody else, and that's why it's on your phone. No, oh, Amanda's in Bolivia. That huh. would, it's, it, <laughs> see, the problem is this thing's in our fucking dining room, this smart, in air quotes, thermostat, uh, but we don't hang out in the dining room, so <laughs> if you don't go near the thing after a while, it assumes, oh, you're not home, and turns all the heat off. So there's this concept called geofencing, which is, okay, you, you put the app on your phone so with GPS it can tell if you're not home. So yesterday we went out to the movies. I waited 45 minutes for the thing to finally decide we weren't home. I finally had to tell it. So, I mean, that's the plus. From the phone I can say, we're not home, and that way the hackers also know we're not <laughs> home. You kick the fucking door down. I've made poor choices, and that's why the show's late. <laughs> Bye, Honeywell. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> whatever they said. Oh, it's going to be more than $10,000 to replace <laughs> this. I'm like, well, how much to keep it going? It's at least 3000 All right, how long can I heat the house if I set the fucking furnace on fire? <laughs> I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. I get that out of the way early. Just, Once yeah. a show, it's got to be there. <laughs> so that's why the show's late, kind of. We've been a little bit distracted and trying to... <laughs> You know, trying to make sure that we have enough money for an HVAC system that doesn't. The sad thing is, we've got great HVAC guys. It's not yeah. their fault. It's, no. Yeah. The, the we ne- made poor choices. The Nest says, oh, a homeowner can install it because all homeowners have degrees in thermodynamics. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. And an innate understanding of the wiring involved to make it see your furnace in such a way as it understands it. No, electricity only. It's I, only. I I, I don't. I can't touch wiring. It's <laughs> literally while the electrician was here to incorrectly wire up the thermostat, I slipped an extra twenty bucks to install a simple light switch because I fear the juice. <laughs> <laughs> I've ins- I've installed a, a light switch once, and I told Amanda, "You stand behind me with the broom, <laughs> and if I stop moving, hit me in the head with the broom, it's knock just me." Like, just like field hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I get to hit you with a stick? Yes, knock me Get closer. Yeah, so apparently I was quiet just one second, two times. She (laughs) eagerly whacked... No, that's not Poked you in the ribs a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I had it coming. Hey, hey, you alive? (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Uh, But but me being all (laughs) mild-mannered. You're not mild-mannered. You're often liquored up and rude. That's the other reason the show's late. I found a new sound clip. Uh. (laughs) I will find new places to drop it in. The the good news, gentle listener, is that Rob has managed to keep the hate in his heart alive for Doomsday Clock 3, so we will get to that at some point this episode. Yeah. Yeah, three weeks late. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about it. Um, we're not going to talk about any other comics this week, because by the time we actually threw all this shit got to the comic store, I've read about two. Uh, this week's Detective Comics, which number I forget. Uh, good one. Kick-Ass 1, less so. Done with Kick-Ass. I read Barbarella 3. It was okay. Okay. That's the entirety of what I've been able to read this week, so... Oh no! I I, I read uh, Justice League 20, Justice League of America twenty four. Oh, with, with Promethea? Yeah. I don't even know why they bothered to put Promethea in. That yeah, I'm not book. sure either. It seems to have temporarily temporarily 
spoilers, stabilized Killer Frost. Yeah, who's who's writing that one? Uh, Steve Orlando. Steve Orlando. It, I, I think I think the reason he put Promethea in that book is because Steve Orlando's finally made his bones at DC, and they <laughs> said, "Congratulations, Steve! Now it's your turn to stick the knife in Alan Moore." <laughs> So that's the entirety of this week's new comics we can talk about. Yeah. If um, anybody can explain why he decided to go the Promethea route, please write us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. Because it's a mystery. Promethea was there and uh, did very little. Yeah. and, and It was more just to say, now we have you. And yeah, <laughs> whispered in uh, Killer Frost's ear as unto the end of Lost in Translation, whispered something. Yeah. And now Killer Frost is happy for Ish. reasons. Ish. I like Justice League of America. Yeah, this issue, it's like, there are choices being made here, and I don't understand them. Yeah. But I'll have to ponder them later, because I'm done with my morning constitutional, and <laughs> now I'm out of time. We have to go do the show. Okay. <laughs> I think we've offered a little too much of a view into our lives here. <laughs> Probably. It's like, wow, what do you like about that podcast? Oh, they live in a shithole, and they're bankrupt, <laughs> and they go to the bathroom immediately before recording. <laughs> really? No, I don't think I'll subscribe. I... No reason to install iTunes for this one. While they were having a ponder, they pondered Killer Frost and Promethea. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we can't talk a lot about this week's comics, unfortunately. We could talk about Black Panther. Yes, we we said we went to the movies. We managed to get to the movies. So, yes, uh, we'll just announce right up front there's going to be spoilers possibly all over the place. Yeah. Uh, very likely all over the place. So if you weren't one of the several thousand people we saw online, either before we saw the movie or after we saw the movie, to go in and see the movie, we're going to spoil the movie. Yeah, the, <laughs> the theater was packed in a way I have not seen. It's a we, we have a little local theater that's close to the home office. It's one of those little theaters that you get in college towns that has like posters of like Fellini movies and David Lynch films it started all over the life, walls. It started life as an actual art house movie place, and then it realized that it, if it wanted to stay open, it was going to have to show movies, movie uh, yeah. movies. Yeah, about five or six <laughs> years ago, they, they realized that 1994 and Pulp Fiction and the independent boom was a fluke and a beautiful dream. Yeah. So yeah, they, they're still more likely to pay, play art house stuff, but they, they generally have at least three quarters, four fifths of uh, regular movies that are coming out. And it's it's just a regular old theater. It's not IMAX. Right. There's no reclining chairs. They don't bring food to your seat. You can get booze if you bring it to Irish up your Coke Zero. And yeah, but and you no, gotta nobody's going to pat you down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's like a regular old movie theater. So in, in modern times, where you know, and certainly we do this sometimes. You know, oh, we'll go to the big theater and mm-hmm. you know where the Patriots play, where they'll come and rub your feet. And the, I want them to touch my feet. Well, the all right, the seat will gently massage your ass, and they'll bring you ice cream sundays. And yeah, that, that that's okay. The ice cream sundays, twenty seven dollar, like an old Fitzy Scotch, directly to your your fucking chair. So yeah, that, that doesn't suck either. You can get gently stewed watching. Oh, I got bombed last... watching Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guess who drove? <laughs> guess who quietly had Coke Zero and ground his teeth? Where you're like, kill him, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Kill all them Nazis! It's World War One, Amanda. Kill the Nazis! <laughs> Can I have another half split of whatever this is? <laughs> hey! <laughs> but but uh, this local theater, this just regular theater, in the past few years, we've gone there for opening weekend for like the last three Star Wars movies. Yep. Most of the Marvel movies. Uh, Wonder Woman. We, we saw Wonder No, no. We, we saw Wonder Woman there a second time. Yes. That's right. Uh, we saw all the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies there. We never stood in the line. No, you know, even even like for- even Force Awakens. We like Force Awakens. We saw the first one 
at um, the the big old like you know massage your butt with the chair theater, and then immediately got in the car and went to our local little theater to go see Force Awakens again. Force Awakens again, yeah. But there was no line. Yeah, and it's, that was like opening weekend. Yeah, but yeah, this was we we went to the early matinee, the one o'clock show on a fucking Sunday, and yeah. there was a line around the corner. And when we yeah, when we got out for the the line for the four thirty matinee went almost around to the back of the building. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen lines like that in a movie since probably Empire, the, Empire Strikes Back. I was going to go with the first Spider-Man because um, the first Spider-Man, uh, yeah, not only were there lines, we had to look at like two or three different theaters before mm. we could finally find one that was even selling. Yeah, tickets. you're right. Now that now that you mention it, so, yes, the, that was probably a little bit bigger than this, but yeah, that's the kind of reaction that Black Panther has gotten. Um, which, uh, given how the zeitgeist around this movie has built up, is not surprising. If you'd asked me six months ago, I'd have said, Black Panther? <laughs> I am not the world's biggest Black Panther fan. It's, if you look at Black... Visually, he's Batman. Yeah. Uh, and w- once you get T'Challa into Wakanda, it tends to be the, a fantasy story. You've got clans and warring factions and weird weapons and politics, and I'm just not the world's biggest old-school fantasy fan. Science fiction, Yeah. I've said before, you can give me exactly the same story. One of them has magic and swords. Yes. And the other has hacker technology and laser weapons. And I'll watch the second one all day long and not care about the first one. It's just a personal taste. My two favorite Black Panther stories are David Liss's Black Panther, The Man Without Fear, uh, and Christopher Priest's run, but when it becomes about Casper Cole. Yeah. Just this cop who finds a Black Panther suit and decides, <laughs> okay, I'll be Black Panther now. <laughs> and it's no accident both of those are stories about somebody at least claiming to be Black Panther dealing with street-level crime, because that's, yeah, yeah I, I like crime stories, so those work for me better. And the the former one had Franco, Francavilla art, right? Yeah, because that was, David Liss's Man Without Fear run, particularly the the first arc, is just pure pulp. I mean, if you think about uh, stories like uh, The Shadow and Doc Savage, it is somebody uh, with extremely intelligent, trained in a foreign country uh, with uh, strange, you know, either semi-magic rights or martial arts mm-hmm. uh, fighting street-level crime against a horribly, arguably racist ethnic <laughs> villain. I mean, you've... Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, classic shadow villains, uh, but yeah, all the shadow villains are all you know, yellow terror, mm. and and in and in, uh, in Liss's uh, Man Without Fear, it's Vlad the Impaler, just <laughs> a stereotypical but super powered Russian gangster. Yeah, so it, it was a pure pulp story, and yeah, if you're gonna have pulp art, you're gonna do a hell of a lot worse than Francesco Francavilla. Sure. So yeah, I, I love that book. You know, oh, Ryan Coogler's doing a, a movie about uh, the Black Panther and Wakanda? Well, all right, it's a Marvel movie. I'll go see it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't expect a hell of a lot out of it, even though I really liked Creed. <laughs> so I know the guy can direct a, a movie with some action in it, but not my favorite character. I was surprised. I, <laughs> I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was... Uh, it To start with, it, it's a, a visually impressive movie. So it gets you right away just in terms of, I've never seen this stuff before. For a large part of it, yeah. He did a good job depicting Wakanda as sort of a mix of what seems to be... And look, we're middle-aged white people. 
There's going to be uh, imagery here that we don't get and subtext that w- will blow right past our heads. So I, I can only relate to it on the, the level of this is what I brought to it. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so things that looked to be sort of authentic African while still with the concept of, yeah, it's this sort of bottle community that has built up in a vacuum uh, and has become technologically far more advanced than anything that we have in the United States. Yeah, it was, there was definitely a futurist bent to the whole thing. So to fill your needs for science fiction, it was spot on. Oh, yeah. The, the maglift trains yeah. and skyscrapers <laughs> and you know, definitely sort of a, I don't know, daylight Blade Runner-ish yeah. vibe to, yeah. to some <laughs> of the city stuff. So, yeah, visually it was excellent. Uh, up to a certain point, there, <laughs> there, was, there were a few uh, well, CGI problems. There were, to be fair, we got there not realizing there was going to be a line out the door and around the corner. So by the time we were seated, we were in um, like the second row from the front, which is fine with me because you know for all those years that you don't have to hit, don't hit the Hulk theme. All the years that my mother and father would never let us sit near the front because you'll ruin your eyes. I don't care what you say. <laughs> you'll ruin your eyes if you sit that close. Nah, fuck you, mom. I'm going to sit as close as I want. I'm, I'm going I'm to sit right in front of the TV. I'm going to put my nose on the television. <laughs> See, look at look, I'm an adult now and my nose, that nose print, mine, because I'm an adult and I can make my own choices. For God's sake, Amanda, it's a $3,000 television. <laughs> Don't put your nose on it. You'll ruin your eyes. So we were sitting exactly where I would have loved to have sat as a 10-year-old. Because we had no other choice. All the other seats were taken. But we that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Except that it kind of messed with the visual experience because things got blurry in places. Not bad like Blair Witch, but in places it was challenging. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I'm mad, everybody. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, I did find sitting up that close, uh, some of the action was was hard to track. It felt very shaky cam to me. Uh, I was thinking more of those fucking rhinos uh, that you could almost see property of uh, rendered by Apple Computer stamped yeah. on their ass. Yeah, so, some of the, the more fantastic creatures, there there are giant rhinos that show up in this, and you have a moment where like, am I watching Jumanji? <laughs> yeah, and uh, when... Uh, when T'Challa is near death, apparently the uh, the tradition is uh, you get to meet your ancestors who are living in the land of the green screen. Because, <laughs> yeah, just uh, visually arresting, but visually arresting to the point of, yeah, that's so completely fake. <laughs> um, uh, landscape in the background. <laughs> I think I had less of a problem with that than with the rhinos. Yeah, the rhinos were bad. The, the rhinos were a poor choice. <laughs> yeah. The, the rhinos moved everything directly back into the realm of, okay, we're back into big-ass fantasy. Yeah, the, the final battle for the throne beyond the actual battle between T'Challa. And, yeah, between T'Challa and Killmonger was, okay, I see this on Game of Thrones 12 weeks a year. <laughs> I can throw in my... Lord of the Rings Blu-rays. We're kind of jumping around a little bit. Um, but yeah, we, there there's a villain. His name is Eric Killmonger. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps we might want to like go through the points of the movie before we get to that scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Eric Killmonger. Killmonger, a, a mild-mannered soldier. <laughs> You're not mild-mannered. You're often liquored up and rude. No, that's me. No, he's <laughs> awful. He's like, he's like the king of wet work. <laughs> yes. 
all right, so do you want to start with Killmonger or? Yeah, all right, so well, all right. It's they set you up with sort of a double blind first of all because what what you find out at the beginning of the movie is that somebody stole a bunch of vibranium from Wakanda, and vibranium is sort of their secret that they've kept that helps them run all their tech, and nobody else in the world knows really what Wakanda is because they've been managing to to. <laughs> It's the Clark Kent of nations. Everybody thinks that it's a third world backwater, when in reality, it's this amazing futuristic society that has somehow avoided colonization like every other portion of Africa. Ah, yes. Wakanda. Mild-mannered nation. And <laughs> You're not mild-mannered. You're often liquored up and rude. I'm getting my mileage out of the only show-related shit I was able to do last That's week, okay? okay? So it was, it was a big deal when Claw um, stole all of this vibranium from them. And so you start the movie thinking that that Claw is going to be your big bad. Yes. Because once T'Challa becomes king, he's given this mandate to go track Claw down because he has outstanding war crimes against the country and we need to close this loop that his father, the previous king, failed to close. Yes. So yeah, let's let's also take a step back because yeah, this is one thing that I, I did think a little bit about. This movie is not necessarily really even, you know, they call it Black Panther and he's the protagonist, but this is as much a story just about Wakanda yeah. and the royal family and the people around them and the various tribes and factions uh, and how they all interrelate. It's as much world building about Wakanda, if not arguably more so uh, than it is about just Black Panther. Yeah, the 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 tagline of the of the citizens um, is they they will say Wakanda forever, and that could just as easily have been the title of the movie. Yeah, it's a yeah they they could have easily called it that because it, yeah it's the same way Dune is about Paul Atreides. It's really about all the world building. It's really about the place. Yeah. So the fact that. T'Challa is king and how he rises to the throne and falls and rises again is just sort of a storyline as as Ryan Coogler builds up this whole world. The supporting characters uh, and Killmonger, the villain, were, I'd say, more important to this than really even Black Panther. Yeah. Because it, it was a hell of a supporting cast. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it was a deep cast. Yeah, I mean it's a yeah. You've got uh, Killmonger, uh, who's it? Uh, Nakia. I, I'm I'm gonna mispronounce some of these because yeah, I, I had to go to Google. I can never remember character names anyway. So character names that aren't anglicized, they just slip off my brain. Again, middle aged white guy. It's a personal failing. That I suck with names anyway. So <laughs> so Eric Killmonger, who's who's our bad guy. Nakia, who is the ex love interest, who becomes the then love interest of Black Panther, which will not last because now that Marvel has their their hands on that sweet X-Men property. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to Storm. But, yeah. You know, for the moment, they didn't know that when they started shooting and writing the script. Right. So, uh, yeah, whoever's playing Nakia, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't buy your Marvel house yet. You, you may not be back. <laughs> I, I think she's got other things in, in, in the works. Uh, probably. I think everybody here can pretty much uh, write their check at this point to, yeah. <laughs> to pick their next project. Uh, there's... Uh, Jesus plays uh, Michonne on Walking Dead. Yeah, as the general who is a complete fucking badass and one of the more nuanced characters in the story. Mm Because 
you know, again, spoilers, as we go through it, Killmonger winds up rising to the throne. And as this is a story about Wakanda, it, it is very much at that moment a, okay, are, are we for Wakanda? Are we about the office of king? Are we following T'Challa? And she has to make decisions about where her loyalties whether personal or not, have to lie. Are we loyal to the throne or are we loyal to the country? <laughs> yeah, or are we loyal to the person, yeah. which is a major theme in the, the back half of the movie in Act 3. Yes. Uh, who else we have in there? Uh, Shuri, his sister. I fucking loved his sister. Oh, that, she was great. Yeah. She, she made me smile every time she showed up. <laughs> yeah, just uh, the head of technology. She was Q. Yeah. <laughs> she was... There, there's an argument to be made here that Ryan Coogler um, not only established the viability of, of African um, or, or black characters in a superhero movie leading a superhero movie, but you could also really make a strong case for why isn't there a black James Bond? Oh, yeah. Uh, like <laughs> Ildris Elba should be the next James Bond immediately after this. There's a little James Bond movie right in the middle of yeah. Black Panther. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But but yeah, and so yeah, she's the cue. She's coming up with the new technology and the new suits, and is just a smart mouth and talks shit to people. Yeah, you know, clearly the okay, the the millennial of Wakanda. <laughs> you know, the, things are great. They've always been great. And what happens when suddenly they're not? Right. There's a huge amount of political stuff in here that we'll talk about, and I'm sure there's more than even I notice. Because again, hey, middle-aged white guy, I can only bring my own experience into right. it. And yeah, the Christ uh, Mabaku, mm-hmm. <laughs> who was the the head of one of the tribes who wanted nothing to do with T'Challa, that has the funniest line in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, just a solid cast, and yeah, the the world building and the characters around T'Challa. They're more important to this than T'Challa. Yeah, really. You could have probably started with, oh, T'Challa's missing, and just <laughs> build out Act 3 to have him come back like Luke Skywalker. You really could end. have, yeah. <laughs> and it, this movie would have been fine. <laughs> it could have been all like, you know, he's still at the UN as like the things that set civil war in motion take place, and meanwhile, back in Wakanda. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah. all of this could go on with him just showing up at the end to retake the throne. It's yeah. A, oh, I'm I'm sorry. My my plane from DC where I was fighting Winter Soldier was delayed. Yeah. But what I miss? Oh shit! Killmonger. <laughs> Just bring me up to speed, Shuri. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's and it, it's weird because almost the entire movie is in Wakanda. They do get out of it in the middle for this little James Bond type thing. And it, it, even so, it, it still works for me because I'm not the biggest fantasy fan. And, and I was thinking that earlier, this is the kind of movie that Thor would have been if they just stayed on Asgard the whole time. Yeah. But the difference is everybody from Kenneth Branagh down to the host of the crappiest comic book podcast understood that would be a boring fucking movie. You've, yes. You've got to get out of this society now and again. And in Thor, yeah, that's what saved the movie. It's what got me into Thor comics. It was a Straczynski's run. Yeah. Now, fine, get him out and make him deal with real people. Make it less Shakespearean, which is where Brana fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was uh, still too much of it. There's a reason the third Thor movies, though. <laughs> really good one, but... And and having that technology, it's like you said, moved it out of the realm of fantasy, even though, yeah, that big final battle was a pure big old Game of Thrones. 
You whispered something to me. Oh, at I some did point. because all right. Here's a giant spoiler. If you haven't seen uh, either Game of Thrones or Black Panther, there's a moment when Eric Killmonger is challenged by T'Challa, who seems to have come back from the dead as far as Killmonger is concerned. He thought he had won in fair combat the throne of Wakanda. So T'Challa points out, well, no, I'm not dead, and I'm still challenging you. And so at that moment, Killmonger disregards the laws of the land, which is finally the thing that puts uh, General Okoye's character in play. That's Danny Guerra's character. Because at that point she had been, I'm loyal to the throne. I'm loyal to the throne. This is this is my job. It, it doesn't matter who's on the throne. I'm loyal to the throne. Right. And then she realizes that the person who is on the throne has absolutely no regard for Wakanda, its traditions, and its laws. Right. <clears throat> at which point she says no. <laughs> yeah. Now the problem is her lover is on the opposing side because Killmonger has one this character to his side because he killed Claw. Spoilers. <laughs> That's right. He, he killed Claw. He, he killed Claw. He made Wakanda great again. And um, well, and th- that guy had beef with Claw because Claw killed his parents. So Claw, <laughs> fucking Claw. That guy was a jackass. <laughs> In any event, um, Andy Serkis, by the way, gives an excellent performance right up until the point he shot dead. <laughs> Well, it's it's really inspired in that uh, yes, the entire beginning of the movie. Is, I, I don't want to. Well, let's talk about him afterwards. You're right okay. in the middle of a thing. So that tribe, which which has the the rhinos as sort of their their animals that fight with them, decide that they're going to back Killmonger. That's his army. So that means all of the other characters are now going to war, and things are going poorly because they're outnumbered, talented warriors as they are, and. One of the things they have are these like force field shields that turn up these these great vertical rectangular force fields. And it looks a lot like the shields that you see used in the Battle of the Bastards. And by the end, it is exactly Battle of the Bastards because they've got the losing army hemmed in with these shields. And then all of a sudden, that other army that had wanted nothing to do with T'Challa and the rest of Wakanda respond finally to T'Challa's overtures of come join us because we're all in this for Wakanda together. Kind of like uh, when the the forces of the Airy came in from the outside to save Jon Snow's ass. It is exactly Battle of the Bastards. (laughs) (laughs) So so Mabaku is Littlefinger? Uh, Maybe. Don't call him that for God's sake. But but vegetarian, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. We got best line in the movie. That one, (laughs) you'll know when you see it. Yeah. So it, that that seemed to I, I I leaned over to Rob and I said I saw this when it was Game of Thrones, <laughs> and you said, "Huh?" <laughs> yeah, see, I watch Game of Thrones uh, pretty shit faced, and uh, often actually, it, since we often record on Sundays, uh, I'm often over here uh, tinkering with the show <laughs> while it's on. It's like, I don't see, I, I don't see Danny's tits at all. What are you talking about, Amanda? <laughs> There's Ma- no dragons. Major failing, no boobs. Hard pass <laughs> on Black Panther. Hard pass. <laughs> They had to get the PG. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, to, to backtrack to Andy Circus as Claw, yeah, it was a great double blind to make him look like he was the primary villain. Yeah, particularly uh, in the James Bond-esque sequence. Yes. Number one, he's clearly having a blast just chewing the scenery. He's just a complete scumbag, just yammer, screams at walls. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, he's he's got a, a non-sucky version of the claw sound gun. Yeah, he, he has a prosthetic arm that opens up and then behaves as a sonic cannon as opposed to the stupid conical that arm Satellite thing. dish looking <laughs> piece of shit. Looks like it should be keeping a dog from licking itself, like, <laughs> it's just, but it's on his arm. It's it's there so he doesn't beat off. <laughs> I guess. I guess. You don't really want to with that hand. Yeah, no. God, no. <laughs> but... but uh, the combination of showing up the, the long game that, well, I want to say the long game that Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, sees, you know, or whether just he, he lays down stuff so people can pick him up and do him or not, Claw should be the main character. We first yeah. saw him back in Winter Soldier back in, what, 2014? Yeah. So, yeah, he's been around for four years. He should have his moment. And he kind of does, and just, okay, we have this story about this advanced... African culture and you know, okay, Claw here is just South African, clearly child of apartheid, just boogeyman of a villain. Right. Oh, and there are great moments of humor in the story we've mentioned already. Given that those people who are familiar with the comic strip know that uh, Claw wields sound as his weapon, there's a fantastic moment of of Claw in the interrogation room, just caterwauling, what is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. And I'm like, oh, yep, using sound as a weapon. <laughs> yeah, that, that sound is a kick in the fucking balls. That's just no good at all. <laughs> it was hysterical. <laughs> so, so yeah, using him and then sort of whacking him in the middle. Yeah, and I, I saw some observation, probably on IMDb, that said, yeah, this is the second time in four months that Andy Serkis has... Uh, portrayed somebody who is apparently the major villain, so, and just to find out halfway through the movie, oh no, we're done with you, so we can <laughs> we can get onto the good shit. No, no, Andy, motion capture is expensive. We want to pump this into CGI rhinos. You have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> Except they <laughs> they didn't motion capture him in this. But <laughs> uh, they didn't motion capture him, and they didn't spend the money on the CGI rhinos. No, so. <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure I could do one with my computer that's a little better. But it's all owned by Disney now, so the savings were not passed along to anybody. No. We were all uh, <laughs> we all got fucked on that one. Disney. Disney. <laughs> <laughs> so should we talk about the little James Bond movie we should. in the middle? We should, because it was frigging awesome. Because it, it was number one, completely un completely unexpected. Except it makes complete sense. I, I say completely unexpected. The owner of our local comic store, Steve. He saw this before we did, um, and when we were finally able to get to the comic store on Saturday, he kind of tipped us to the fact there's a little James Bond movie in the middle of this, and I, thinking about it at the time before we saw it, you could easily turn Black Panther into a James Bond type story. It's a, yeah, and, it, the, and there, was, there were hints of it in the advertising, because if you've seen any of the Black Panther uh, Lexus commercials... <laughs> With all of the the cool driving and the those sequences, those are yanked more or less from this movie. Yeah, and so so that's yeah. In every James Bond movie, whatever he's driving is either an Aston Martin because they have a deal, or it's oh no, uh, BMW has a new sporty sedan they want to try to yeah. force down the throat of of insecure middle aged men who want to know what they'll look cool driving. So that's purely out of the James Bond tradition. Yeah, so apparently now Marvel has some deal with Lexus. I guess Audi pissed them off. <laughs> I don't know. Tony Stark will always drive Audi. I'm yeah. convinced. It's probably where they're doing Infinity War. It's like, he, he won't need a car. We can tell Audi <laughs> to fuck off. But if you think about it, it's okay. We have uh, T'Challa, even though he's king, he is the best, most trained person of a sovereign nation. 
and a sovereign advanced nation that has a vested interest in espionage and at the very least maintaining an intelligence force to keep people off the borders and, oh, somebody grabbed a little bit of vibranium. Uh, how do we intercept that? Take a, You could easily turn Black Panther away from a superhero story and into a spy story. Well, they very much established the idea that there is a strong intelligence network from Wakanda because going back to the beginning of the movie, we find spoilers that T'Challa's father's brother is working as a war dog. Uh, and that's their word for their um, intelligence networks out in other countries. Which is a great name, even though it sounds directly out of Mad Max. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> if, and if I, if I could have been a war dog, I, I might have joined the military. <laughs> But it's something you know, he had been doing, and that leads to other plot points later. It's something that T'Challa's ex was doing because we find her undercover in the midst of, of women being kidnapped in one of those situations where they decide that they're going to kidnap a bunch of women and sell them off for like yeah, child brides and all that crap. Boko Haram or yeah, something. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and and we see Nakia in this world. They're, they're in... Um, South Korea just operating smoothly. <laughs> she knows langu- various languages. She she can handle herself in combat. I want to see a crossover with her and Black Widow somewhere. I- <laughs> oh, totally. You could do movie after movie with those two characters. But I, I, you know, since we know that there is a Black Widow movie coming up, all of this does is help solidify that portion of the Marvel world. Yeah, which should have been solidified years ago with Shield. Yeah. But they're busy. They, they were too busy with Agent Friggin' Agent Abercrombie. A- Agent Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking around with LMDs. And- yeah, and now they're like off planet in the future. I, I'm actually a couple episodes behind behind on Shield, but I know that Daisy spoilers stays behind in the future. Oops. Um, <laughs> well, thanks. I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. I just read it somewhere. You've watched a couple I haven't seen. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, that's the sad thing by screwing up Shield. In Winter Soldier, yeah, the whole espionage part of the Marvel Universe has sort of been fallow until, yeah, this. Now, yeah. Yeah, it's it's Phil Coulson and uh, <laughs> a TV actor who will be appearing at a convention near you. <laughs> yeah. Keeping the faith on ABC on Thursdays at 8 or whenever the hell the TiVo grabs it. We outlived in humans. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to bite the bullet and do that and dissect the first honest-to-God Marvel failure. Yeah, I, I, it, didn't, I, it didn't live. It didn't I, make it to another season. You know why? Because nobody gives a fuck about the Inhumans <laughs> anywhere, ever. No one. Plus, the deal with Fox has been made and the mutants are back in the fold. Here we go. <laughs> there. So, no, we don't need the Inhumans anymore. Yeah. Black Bolt, you had your chance and you blew it! <laughs> Ramsey Bolton, you suck here too. <laughs> But yeah, we're not going to do that now. We're talking about Black Panther now. Yes, we are. But yeah, every single element of a James Bond movie was there. You've got Shuri as Q mm-hmm. with the various spy gadgets and self-driving cars or remote-driven cars. She, she remote drives the Lexus and is just so excited to be doing so. Yeah. It's adorable. Yeah. The, <laughs> spy gadgets, you know, the weird communications devices, uh, the, uh, uh, was it, uh, Michonne's, sorry, Refer back to character sheet, uh, Okoye. Yeah, Okoye. Yeah, so, <laughs> I suck. I'm the worst. I don't know, I'm probably uh, pronouncing it wrong, too. Her her spear that she just can sort of keep in her handbag and extend until she's made. Yeah, the the, the staff work that you've come to appreciate from Michonne, she shows here with a bif- bigger, different gold staff. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, the staff work. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, a showdown in a fucking foreign casino. The car chase with yeah, whatever car company wants to sell to. Oh, I want to be cool. What do I drive? <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it's it, it makes total sense for that kind of character. But the most important thing, it gets us the fuck out of Wakanda for a while. Yes. Yeah. And as much as I like the world building around Wakanda. The only real superhero action we get in this superhero flick is in South Korea. It's that car chase. Yes. Because otherwise, it's either that or the battle between, uh, during the big battle between T'Challa and Killmonger. Yes. So you've got a superhero movie with really only one scene of superhero action. So if you don't have this, it really very much becomes almost a sci-fi fantasy world-building movie, which would have been fine, but... A little uh, weird in a in a major market big budget superhero movie Marvel movie yeah now there were there were um, combat pieces when T'Challa is ascending to the throne he is challenged by Mubaku oh absolutely so but there is a there are some fights but that's more sword and sandal <laughs> shit yeah you know that's that's Conan type action and again I'm not a big fantasy guy there's there's a reason you can whisper Battle of the Bastards. Which I vaguely remember, <laughs> but it's, uh, oh yeah, okay. It's, yes, even the biggest fantasy of our time can only kind of hold my attention. True. And, and that's just me. It's a, <laughs> I don't want to call it personal failing. It's a personal preference. Yeah. I like Game of Thrones, but yeah, it's not 100% my jam. That's okay. So yeah, to get us out of Wakanda and number one, it places, Black Panther back in the real world, at least up to a point. Sure. And gives us superhero action. You know, ultimately, this is a Marvel movie. I, I am here for the superhero action. I, I want to see dudes. I want fights and tights. Yeah. Faces kicked. Where where this movie also excelled <clears throat> is in, I mean, there was the world building, but just the individual characters. Everybody was reasonably well fleshed out, some more than others, certainly. But they made such a compelling argument for... Eric Killmonger as um, an anti-hero more than a villain. You know, they always make the, the comment that villains are the hero of their own story. This kid truly believed he was the hero of his own story. There, there's a, a whole discussion of, you know, if you have, you should be sharing. You should be doing for others that, that have less than you. And if you don't do that, then you are inherently selfish and you're only hurting those that you should, that you should be bringing into your fold. And it's a, it's a, a question that T'Challa wrestles with because he wants to do right by the traditions of his country and they have closed borders, it, ridiculously closed borders. They, they have a whole invisible shield over them that makes them look like a country they are not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so what we find out is his uncle, when he was out in the world as a, a war dog, was living in Oakland in the early 90s and he saw the poverty and he saw the drugs and he saw the violence and he could not understand why his brother would not share his resources to help out his fellow man who so clearly needed it because they were being so mightily abused by the system under which they had to live. And so he had conspired with Claude to steal the vibranium so that he could help out his community. And he had had a young son who is Eric Killmonger. <laughs> yes. 
We're going to completely ignore the fact for right now that if Wakanda is spending its resources spying on Oakland, they're probably not spending their resources well. Uh, <laughs> it's Ryan Coogler grew up in Oakland, I think. I uh, don't yeah, know. I think I read that someplace. Well, so. I, my understanding was the symbolism of placing it in Oakland is that's where actually the Black Panthers were formed in the 60s. Yes, that's. <laughs> I would have to Google that to be 100% sure. Yeah, I heard that too, but... Uh, look, when it comes to being a student of the 60s, uh, I, I, I like watching Nixon fall apart. That's kind of fun. Uh, but I, I'm not as up on my internal United States uh, revolutionary period of the 1960s. My, my knowledge of Oakland is it has the Raiders and it's not San Francisco. That's yes, pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I that's, hear there's some good bagels there, but I'm not sure where they are. I know that the Oakland A's beat the Red Sox in the playoffs in 1988, and I will hate Jose Canseco forever. <laughs> Jose Canseco played for the Red Sox for a while, and every twitchy steroid home run he hit for the Red Sox, I hated him a little less. <laughs> Still hate him. <laughs> that said, when it comes to Killmonger, you could make the argument that he's the best Marvel movie villain since Loki. Yes. Although I think if you put him on the continuum of all of the Marvel properties, I'm still not entirely sure that he lives up to the imprint that Kingpin left behind kingpin and the purple man yeah uh kingpin was probably the the most fully fleshed out because with 13 hours and a killer actor like vincent vincent d'onofrio playing him yeah you're going to get a performance although to be fair you know michael b hudson had this coming after the fucking washout that was fantastic for michael b jordan jordan i'm sorry oh my god i suck Uh, (laughs) i'm not even drinking yet i I had to look again i'm terrible with names hudson (laughs) michael b jordan jordan i did that again didn't i (laughs) oh my god i'm an alcoholic (laughs) (laughs) no no i just i'm sober look you you said you were tired and you're sober however we promised these scumbags a show so you're a true pervert but this is this again this is the part that he is deserved to have and for fucking forever (laughs) oh yeah and he was killer in creed yeah which i mean i you hadn't really seen a lot of Rocky movies before we got together, did you? Um, I had seen Rocky Balboa. and uh, We then, saw that together. Yeah, because you had the flu, and then by the end of Rocky Balboa, I had the flu. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, baby. <laughs> My parents told me to share. Sharing is caring. <laughs> um, and then I think... I apologize I for licking your neck through all of Rocky Balboa. <laughs> Stop licking my neck. It's creepy. I had a fever. <laughs> I'm not a salt lick. And the only cure. <laughs> ew. Just ew. And now we're back to Manny's discount <laughs> heat pump. <laughs> How does it cool? Who's rubbing ice cubes on my back? Stop. <laughs> anyway. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> not sure what I was talking about. We were fair. talking about Michael B. Jordan. Thank you. And he was excellent in. Uh, well, he tried Creed. real tried real hard as Johnny Storm. Uh, nothing that happened in Fantastic Four was anybody's fault. Uh, Josh Trank's fault, I think. <laughs> All right, anybody besides Josh Trank, um, who I think was helping install the furnace. <laughs> he might have been. I, I think they sent him for coffee. <laughs> so it, it, he just gives this this killer performance. It, he's he's thinking several moves ahead. He's he spent all of this time learning about Wakanda from the the journals that his father left behind. He is a student of 
of science who's excelled at MIT and then gone to Annapolis and, and just been in the, the deepest, darkest places that the military could send him so that he could learn the art of war and how to destabilize a government with the sole purpose of coming back to Wakanda and taking over. Yeah, absolutely. It All his motivations make sense, and that does not happen in Marvel villains. No. And, Hi, Ultron, and whatever the Even bad- Loki, it's just like, I'm doing this for the lulz. Well, no, Loki started with, oh, it turns out uh, I'm not your son, uh, or something like that. Yeah, well, then fuck you. <laughs> Look, the first Thor is the only Marvel movie uh, we don't uh, own. Yeah. For, <laughs> the only reason we own Thor 2 is I think that's the only Marvel movie we didn't bother <laughs> to go see in the theater. Yeah. And I d- did one of those games of Amazon Roulette. <laughs> if you're not familiar, Amazon Roulette is when you get shit-faced and buy something on Amazon, and when you wake up in the morning, it's a race to see if you can cancel it before they ship it. <laughs> I lost Amazon Roulette that day, and now we own Thor the Dark World. (laughs) Which I only vaguely remember watching. I'm like, oh, I think that's the guy from Doctor Who. That's not good makeup at all. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was not. Uh, But yeah, Killmonger, yeah, his motivations, it's like he's got a blood claim to the throne of a wealthy nation. Yes. And yet he's forced to grow up in Oakland with nothing because some Wakandan officer of the court killed his father. Killmonger's origin is like the opposite of Batman. Well, a, his, his, a cop came and killed his father and left him with nothing. <laughs> specifically, his uncle killed his father. His dad, operating as the Black Panther, came to Oakland and said, what you did means that you, know, you need to come home and answer for your crimes. And his uncle did not realize that also his, his friend, who he called James, was an undercover other war dog named Zuri who had ratted him out to T'Challa's father. How do you remember these names? I have no clue. He went to to kill Zuri, and that's when, I think T'Challa's father's name is T'Chaka? Yes. Killed his brother. (laughs) Right. Opposite of Batman. The man came and killed you and left you without a mansion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And yeah, growing up in those kind of, circumstances, knowing that the system's stacked against you and knowing that, yeah, you could, there's a place where they have the technology where we could change the balance of power forever. That's a motivation. There's people on Twitter saying Killmonger was right. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but Killmonger's not wrong. And yeah, if you can give a character a motivation that I can say, yeah, you're not wrong, when that motivation, if it comes to fruition, means I would be the first one against the wall... That's good writing. That's good character work. I respect that. Yeah, it, it you know, it's it sort of speaks to the larger it, you think about Peter Parker and Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. So what does that mean? If you're a Wakanda and you have all of this great power and you you feel that your first responsibility is to yourself, okay, that's fine, but what does that mean for for your place in the world? And and that comes into the the politics of the movie that are there, which I want to talk about uh, in a second. But first, I just want to address that they at least sort of came up with a, oh, it's a nickname because he's such an effective soldier reason for him being named Killmonger. Because, yeah, if you name a kid Killmonger... Uh, it's like it's like naming your daughter, you know, Destiny or Sparkles. They're going to strip. Exactly. 
<laughs> it's you're really limiting. <laughs> you name a kid Killmonger, you're limiting his potential. Nobody expects to see the name Killmonger on a Google business card. When I'm when I'm you know vetting my applications for MIT, and I see the name Killmonger come over, yeah. the the common app. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, there, there's never been a job interview that said, "So, why do you want to work at Merrill Lynch, Mister Embezzly McCocabbit?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and yeah, all his motivation, it, it made sense and you could sort of see why it was right and why not necessarily T'Challa, but Wakanda as it has reached this point was wrong. And you pointed out, yeah, it's very much Magneto from X-Men, the first, at least the first couple X-Men flicks. Yeah. Motivation. It's, it's, you know, I, I have been wronged and I am right to act as I have been acting and I will take the power and I will use it as I see fit because you have had it for so long and all you have done is squander your potential. And we have others that we could be raising up who have been oppressed. He was wrong and you knew it. Yes. <laughs> Just hadn't touched the soundboard for a while. That's I, okay. My hands start to get itchy. That's all right. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a question of, at that point, okay, you can understandably and perhaps justifiably descend into full-on revolution but is there a third way? Yes, which is which is where we wind up by the the end of the movie. But it's also it was kind of refreshing to have a Marvel villain, and we've had a few of them. But where it's no, the plan is not to destroy the world, or really even to directly take over the world. He he wants everything to. Wind well, up. they were going to take over the world. He was going to use Wakanda to go out and disrupt all of the societies of others and bring them under. The Wakanda Empire. He 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 quoted from uh, the British Empire. He said that we're, it's going to be that the oh. sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. Yeah, but it, it was not uh, so. And, and then I will be able to have my boot upon everybody's neck. It was no. Uh, no I will show my people how to change society so that everybody is as powerful as Wakanda. So it's it's very different from. <laughs> Say the Red Skull, yeah, or something like that. So it's it was really well done character work, and it brought a lot of the politics that are in the movie into it. Should we talk about the politics before we get to the politics? Because there's going to be a lot of. I'm shit not sure that I'm qualified to talk about the politics, but if you want to try it, I'll, I'll, I'm game. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not qualified to talk about a lot of the underlying stuff. <laughs> Again, I can only discuss the things that uh, I brought into it, and yeah, but. It, it, before we even try that, is there anything else about the movie that, that we want? No, the, but it's, it's, it's friggin' awesome. If you haven't seen it, go see it. <laughs> yes, it's a superhero movie with surprisingly little superhero action that still is entertaining pretty much all the way through. Although, and I'm not the only one. I've seen a couple of reviews. As we got to the point where, okay, Killmonger is getting ready to take over, and okay, now here's my piece of it. It's like, uh, okay, can we can we move it along? Can we get to the final battle? I've said before, the key to a good movie is if I start wishing that I can go out to have a smoke at any point <laughs> during the movie. And there there was a point right around the first battle with Killmonger where I'm like, okay, I get where this is going. And yet. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's it's structured in a lot of way like a, a lot of other movies. It's, you know, okay, at a certain point, the villain is going to be captured and be brought in so mm. that he can talk. Okay, so, yeah, all right, Claw's been captured. He's been brought in so he can talk directly. Okay, yep, I get it. They're going to break him out. Yep, they're breaking him out. Okay. and So there were structural things here that you've seen in other movies, and that's just sort of the nature of how 
blockbuster movies are written now. It's Still, this- it turned out to be this double blind because as as it turns out, ultimately, Eric wants to wants Claw because he wants to get back to Wakanda, and he knows that Claw can do that. And so you think it's going to be this sort of back and forth between Claw and his underling, when in fact, no. <laughs> yeah, it's at least Kugler did something a little different with it, but. He did something with it, still within the constraints of that structure. The villain needs to be here and needs to be inside, and it's it's we've seen it in Dark Knight, mm-hmm. we've seen it in Avengers. It's there are structural things here where, if you watch a lot of movies, and I, I watch probably more movies than I should, <laughs> particularly movies over the last ten years, it's like okay, I got a pretty good idea what's coming next. So right around that area, it's like okay, I, I get what you're doing. Let's get to the money. You know, yeah. show me shit blowing up. No, not rhinos. Don't show me fucking rhinos, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, when, when when Steve was talking about rhinos with, with one of the other patrons who had seen the movie in the store, I'm like, rhinos? Like like from Spider-Man? Like, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> like, somebody... like, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you get Paul Giamatti back? Does he, <laughs> does he need the dough that badly? <laughs> somebody get the man a sandwich. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, so yeah, with the, with the politics, you know, again, I, I will cop to there are references here that I, I have no societal context to understand. I, I've missed them or I don't get them at all. Mm-hmm. Again, middle aged white guy. So, I'll just talk about the things that I noticed uh, and, and what worked for me or affected me on some level or another. I, I also want to say it really speaks to Ryan Coogler's execution of the movie. Uh, and how the movie is written, none of the political commentary that I noticed really has anything to do with the story. You don't have to pay any attention to it. Yeah. You know, it's certain things I thought mirrored certain things going on, at least in the United States right now, that, yes. uh, and I could be bringing my own experience to it, and Ryan Coogler could say, no, that's not what I meant at all. Well, out of the gate, the whole idea of I'm loyal to the throne versus I'm loyal to the country, all of the talk that you see on social media of... Um, you know, country over party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly. It's <laughs> uh, this is going to be tough. I, I'm going to want to keep this truncated because I don't want this to be a political show. No, but but yeah, the the idea of you know, do you respect the office of the presidency or the person who's in it? And depending on which particular person is in it at any given time, you know, certainly with the last president, God knows, I received certain forwarded emails from my father. Uh, that indicated uh, <laughs> certain opinions about the presidents that might not respect the office of the presidency just because of who was in it. Certainly that's going on now mm-hmm. on the opposite side. But yeah, it's it's a legitimate question at any given time. And it seems like for, yeah, in particular, probably since about 2000, maybe since 1992, that whole, oh, my guy's not in so yes, anything that can be done you know, to demonstrate that the other person is clearly the antichrist, <laughs> uh, right? Regardless of the fact that they're the president of the United States, you know, d- does that afford any respect? Right. You know, does that mean that you can ignore them if they're not your person? Does that mean that you can actively disparage and belittle them because they're not your person? Right. <laughs> and, and what does that mean to be a patriot for your country? Right. And yeah, it's a, a valid question that is directly addressed by various characters. Uh, oh, God. I, <laughs> the character Michonne plays. Okoya. Okoya, thank you. <laughs> Very clearly is a, look, I am a general in the Wakandan army 
and I have sworn an oath to follow the king. This is not the king that I chose, but he is legally the king. So I have a duty to... And, and certainly, she shows trying to steer him, try to present her opinion to him, but it's not until he gives an illegal order, you know, which is, forget about the law, I'm giving you an order to circumvent the law so I can continue to be king, that she revolts. Yes. Whereas other characters, T'Challa's former lover... Uh, uh, I, I buried my character notes under uh, notes that I've discarded. Nakia, thank you. (laughs) It's purely, oh no, we have to resist right now. We have to revolt. And that's one of the decisions that had to say, I can't do that. I'm the general. Yeah. So it's it's directly directly addressed there. Um, Yeah, and and even, you know, beyond that, Okoye's lover still, despite the fact that an illegal order has has been given, he's decided this is his guy. Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's like the old, Saturday Night Massacre. Yeah. How many people do I have to fire to get to Robert Bork? We'll say, <laughs> sure, whatever. I'll do what you say, Mr. President. Yeah. So, yeah. And one thing I noticed, and we talked about it a little bit, Wakanda's role in the world, being technologically advanced, having resources that it has, can directly map to what is the Western world's, maybe particularly the United States' role in the world. <laughs> you know, Wakanda, yeah, they got this pile of wealth. They make America look bad. So, okay, yeah, right now we're living in an age where there's huge blocks of the country who want the United States to completely isolate from the world as Wakanda has isolated. They don't Mm. have a wall, in quotes, but they have a kind of force field. That's close. (laughs) Um, You know, and yeah, there's blocks of the country who are like, oh, no, forget about the rest of the world. We just want to worry about, you know, the United States. I personally, I work in an industry where a huge amount of the workforce is overseas. Well, they make a whole comment, uh, you know, tangentially about immigration with regard to if we let in refugees, refugees bring their problems with them. And it's just like, you know, you know what they're referring to there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So, so, yeah, just the question of, OK, if you have resources as a nation, if you have you know, what is your duty to do anything with it? Right. It's a tough question. <laughs> One thing that, that I noticed the whole Right, the rights of succession to the throne. Because yeah, I've seen other reviews that said, well, that seems needlessly archaic. And why <laughs> is it, if you're an advanced society, why do you have trial by combat to become king? And, you know, okay, just whoever wins the fight is king? That seems stupid. But if you notice that initial right, it really was just sort of rote. Yeah, it was really you know, to the point where uh, T'Challa's sister is sort of Shuri. cracking jokes. Yeah, yeah, Shuri is you know cracking jokes. Like, come on, do we really have to go through this? Yeah, you know, we all know what it's going to be. I want to go home. This course, it's kind of tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, we all know what it's going to be. There's sort of a, an underpinning of it is very much rote that everybody's going to say no. We're not going to challenge the throne. You know, the fact that uh, Mabaku makes the challenge that's an outlier. That doesn't. Yeah, happen. They spend their time in the mountains, and I think that's purely set up to show, oh no, this is still legitimate and it's still legal. And, and even then, as he makes the challenge, people are saying, no, you don't have to do this. This is not... And then you know, if T'Challa... I, I have no doubt if T'Challa had said, you know what, trial by combat is dumb. It would have gone to whatever the Wakandan version of the Supreme Court is, and it probably would have said, yeah, alright, you know what, we've outgrown. Or maybe not. I mean, it, it, it feels that it feels like one of the struggles for Wakanda is their their deep respect for their traditions and the ability to look at it objectively and make change. Yeah, except they didn't. 
that's how Killmonger got the throne. Well, yes, but even still, at the end of of the movie, you know, rather than addressing, you know, maybe we should be taking in more people from the outside and 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 working with refugees who need a safe place to go. It becomes, we will bring our technology to you, we will do outreach to you, but there is no discussion about opening their borders. Uh, yeah, that's true, <laughs> but uh, specifically what I was getting at is the the rights of succession by ritual combat really kind of spoke of the Electoral College to me. Yes. This thing that's been kicking around since the 18th century that seemed like a good idea in an agrarian society. Sure. You know, it's... Okay, yep, we, we built this thing, and yeah, all right, it's not perfect, but it's never really been a problem, and nine times out of ten, the popular vote is what happens, so it's not that big a deal, and now we're in a situation where, yeah, the, the person in the White House is not the person who won the popular vote to a degree of millions of people. Because the Electoral College is like, oh, we all know it's going to happen here, let's just cast our vote and go home. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's this ancient thing that's sort of been around and it's a oh no that's the law and it puts us in a situation where if you're a general okay uh, what do i do when the president of the united states who did not win the popular vote say wants the nuclear well, football to be fair though they they still were able to and it worked in their favor but it and, you know until it almost didn't they were still able to say, you know what? No, we can work within the law here because T'Challa's come back from the dead and he's saying that the challenge is still open. And and Killmonger makes the illegal order no, attack him. But ultimately it works out because T'Challa defeats Killmonger in battle, thereby being able to retake what is rightfully his. Oh yeah, but he does it through the same loophole in well, we've just always done it this way, and it's never caused us a problem before. But one wonders going forward, will there be change? They they don't make a decision one way or the other, but what we do know is that one of the first things that Killmonger did once he got the power of the Black Panther was to, to order that the fields in which the flowers that gave the power to the panther, this mystical plant that's imbued with special vibranium powers um they're not poppies they swear uh, they, oh god no <laughs> although they let you see the land of your ancestors um greenland they they the first thing he does is order them lit a fire so that nobody else can partake of this power so going forward you know since part of being able to ascend to the throne or hold on to the throne is to be able to defend it without being able to use the power of the Black Panther because they have some sort of antidote that takes it out of your system. Yeah. If they do that again, they, they, presumably, unless they figured out a way to synthesize it from his own blood at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the system has to change. Yeah. Because of the actions of this one rogue king. Right. Which, uh, all right, that's, you know, that, that's, I think, a sub subtext of, all right, now what are they going to do? Which is not really brought up at all. But it's a good point. Yeah. Things cannot continue the way they did because, yeah, uh, the shit that we did <laughs> every X years when a king died, we can't do anymore. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just I thought it was an interesting you – know, I've, I've seen a lot of complaints online of, uh, oh, an advanced society wouldn't do this. Well, if you build a system and it works for there's and, and it does what it's supposed to do most of the time, there's no incentive to change it. Right. And, yeah, you will, on an infinite timeline, get somebody who – shoots the gap and then figures out 
<laughs> oh, okay, well, now I'm here. And, and how do you deal with the aftermath of that? Right. And uh, I think it's very much a comment on where a large part of the United States is right now. Like, ah, oh, shit, I just... somebody failed up again. What are we going to do about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the problem is, yeah, this is an antique system that's, uh, all right, it's always worked for us, so it doesn't matter. And we do a lot of pro forma stuff because, all right, we know it's the system, but we know what we want to do. But no, it's the law, and if yeah, somebody can find a way into it, and it worked for T'Challa too. It's a no. The rule is uh, yield or die, and I didn't do either. I honestly half wondered about two thirds of the way through the movie because the reason that T'Challa is able to come back as Black Panther is as Killmonger is ordering the the burning of the field of this flower, Shuri is able to save one flower, right, and is able to deliver it to. They think they're bringing it to Mbaku. To you know, say here you be the warrior that we need somebody to be because Killmonger is awful and we need somebody to go up against him. There is an arc, and I forget who wrote it, in which I think Shuri or somebody female close to Black Panther becomes the new Black Panther. Oh yeah, I don't remember if it's Okoya or if it's Shuri. Um, I think that's all going on during the uh, Man Without Fear arc. That's yeah. part of why he's in Hell's Kitchen, right? Um, so I half was hoping actually that we were going to see that. Yeah. That, which would have been cool. Yeah. And <laughs> hopefully she saved a seed pod somewhere. Yeah. It's yeah, a plan. Why not steal two? It's a plan. Yeah. You can grow a couple. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's interesting. That's an act of treason. She yeah. went against the king. Disobeyed a direct order. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so I, I just thought it was interesting commentary on... Yeah, maybe that's just something I'm bringing to it. Maybe that was not intended at all, but a, a weird loophole in this old law that was meant to do a certain thing at a certain time that everybody's sort of outgrown, but it's like, well, we've always done it, and it's never fucked us before. Right. What do you do when it has an unintended circumstance? Or un- unintended consequence. Yes. <laughs> yeah, consequence. I've had three beers. That's okay. But I'm, not, I'm not doing Berkshire Brewing Company. Killmonger was Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what am I going to... I'll do this one again. You're not mild-mannered. You're often liquored up and rude. I just want to get my money's worth out of it. That's okay. I'm sure there's other societal, uh, cultural things going on in there that just I do not have the context to understand or comment on. I'm sure they were there for a lot of people. I did not miss it. Those are the ones that jumped out to me. Any, anything else that you saw? No, I think I think those are the main ones. And like I said, just at the end, the idea was, okay, well, we will share with you, but on our terms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Our terms I, are still evolving, but this is a big step for us, and we're only doing it because this white guy, Ross, got you know into the country, and so he knows what we've got. So <laughs> we don't want to risk he's just going to blow it <laughs> Yeah. tell everybody. Yeah, and... <laughs> God, that one moment where it was, where it was uh, Gollum and uh, Bilbo. Yeah. So this guy Ross, who's a CIA operative, who is essentially the Felix in the, in the uh, yeah Felix Leiter James Bond esque story, um, manages to come back to Wakanda because they feel that they have to save him for what he's done for them. He took a bullet for Nakia. Yes. And once he gets there, he's like, oh, oh, my God, <laughs> the the stuff that Claw was saying about this country is true. So now it's like, all right, 
we, despite having all this other fine technology, don't have the mind wipe shit that you see in Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so now we need to figure out what to do with you. And and the character is played by Martin Freeman. And he stands up and says, I burn my family alive. <laughs> I like to light things on fire. Sorry, you said Legends of Tomorrow and I went right for That's it. That's okay. He's played by Martin Freeman, who is the Hobbit. <laughs> Yeah, and Claw is Andy Serkis, who is Gollum. So for a while, you have Gollum versus the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, and then later on in the movie, you have uh, four characters walking up a mountain on a quest. Yes, it's like oh, Bilbo's walking across a snow-covered mountain. It's <laughs> they gave him shoes this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I did read on IMDb that uh, it was a casting uh, or a property uh, props decision that I think it's two out of every five Wakandans go barefoot. Really? Yeah. Okay. Which has nothing to do with anything. It's just uh, they gave him shoes this time. I remembered that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I do remember that that Shuri made a big deal out of the fact that T'Challa was wearing sandals because the elders really dug that. (laughs) Again, a tradition, not always the best idea. Some traditions should probably go. (laughs) Trial by combat. Uh, it could go wrong. It could go wrong. <laughs> it, it, it's weird. It was a world-building fantasy movie in superhero flick clothing, and I am generally for world-building that's fantasy-like doesn't work for me, but it had enough science fiction to work for me. They left enough and gave me enough superhero action that I liked it. Uh, I do think it's kind of a shame that the final battle between Killmonger and T'Challa wound up being an Iron Man one sort of style. Oh, one dude with a suit versus another dude with a suit. You yeah. Know, okay, we're direct opposites. That's And you want the villain to be sort of an opposite to the hero, but to, to make it so literally, oh, I have the same suit, uh, it didn't work as well for me as I hoped. Yeah, especially because at that point, the suit could have been taken out of the equation entirely. They they both had the, the vibranium super poppy serum going through their brains. Yeah, but you know what? It's, they could have stripped down. What are they going to do for me? Go to hell. I can only be me. <laughs> what do you want from me? I got problems. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> it's... Being a superhero movie, I want the final superhero battle, the superhero to be in the suit. Okay. Did, does that make me weirdly traditionalist sure did it need to be there no but again t'challa didn't need to be there until the last 15 it's minutes true. and what is i mean ultimately we both very much enjoyed the movie but what does that say about a a superhero movie when you say that you don't really need to have the superhero in it at all <laughs> it, it says that he was trying to do something very different than most marvel movies and that's cool yeah it's uh, there was a lot there to like the the characters around t'challa were to a one compelling to a one at least a layer or two deep, mm-hmm. uh, well characterized, well acted. Yeah, this is on paper. I shouldn't give a shit about this. I don't give that much of a fuck about Black Panther. I, I never have, and, and yet there was a lot here to like. There were, like I said, the script was sort of slave to certain conventions that all action and superhero movies are kind of slave to at this point, on one way or another. Yeah. So yeah, there were certain points where it's like, I, I get what you're doing. Let's let's keep going. Let's get to the let's get to the money. Sure. Uh, but it, overall, it was a hell of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I, uh, at least than than I thought it was going to be six months ago. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It has as as many of these superhero movies um, have done uh, made me feel that I should be working out more. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just wondering where the time has gone. Well, <laughs> Chad, Chadwick Boseman ain't 47. <laughs> Screw that guy. <laughs> Being born after the early 70s. <laughs> it's the inexorable march of time. <laughs> oh... And uh, all right, so where would you rank it with the Marvel? And this is a sucker's game because just having seen, I mean, I liked it enough that we came home and I said we got to watch Civil War because I want some more Black I Panther. Promptly fell asleep. <laughs> Not a reflection on Civil War, no. which I think it's the third time I've seen it. God, that holds up. I still think that Winter Soldier is the best, but that may just be again. Black Panther was fantastic. It wasn't necessarily written for me, so the representation in it wasn't for me like that i <laughs> yeah but I, I don't care about that I, there were i i take on faith there were layers there that i didn't get because i was not necessarily the target audience but there was enough there that even though maybe i'm not the direct target audience yeah it was a movie for a mass audience it's not like gabby rivera's america where it's like you're not the target audience and i don't care I, or at least that's how it felt i feel as though i think winter soldier is my favorite in retrospect, and I, I know that I haven't always listed it as my favorite, but in terms of just the the way that you get to be really interested in what's what's going on with Bucky and and will um, Steve figure it out? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and just the the spy elements in it. <laughs> it's it's Sam Jackson's sort of swan song because we haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> that's true. Uh, it's yeah. I think I'd still put Winter Soldier at the top. But how much of that is force of habit? Uh, I've watched Civil War twice Mm. since I've seen Winter Soldier. So how much of that is just, oh, that's my favorite. So because of inertia, it's still there. It's In watching Winter Soldier, I don't remember ever saying, okay, I get what you're doing. Let's move on with it. Whereas I did get that with Black Panther. Yes. Like I said, sort of about the two-thirds mark. And I I also have to give a nod to to that movie and... To a lesser degree, the the first Captain Amer- America movie, because from that you get Agent Carter. <laughs> yeah, which I enjoyed. I, you enjoyed it more than I did. Yeah, but. and I just I was especially season one. That was such a great character, and it showed the potential of what you could do had they really followed through with some vision of of spinning off these characters but keeping them tied to these movies. It felt like after a certain point, it's like what's on TV is on TV. And yeah, we might throw Sif in there occasionally. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have somebody come in now and again. But even that kind of went away after yeah. the second season. That was pretty much, yeah. But it it really showed what you could do. <laughs> sure. And I didn't necessarily get a sense after that 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 was the. As much as I make fun of corporate synergy, that is a place where they could have really done some cool things. Yeah, and it. I don't know whether it was the ratings or whatever. The decision was made where, no, you know what? It turns out I think you're over here doing your own thing. Yeah. Which, you know, okay, fine. I still think in whatever the next Spider-Man movie is, it should be Vincent D'Onofrio as King. Oh, absolutely. Versus Spider-Man. But Yeah, in the meantime, we're getting some sort of standalone Venom shit with Tom Hardy. Oh, God. <laughs> to quote a great man... You cannot imagine the enormity of the <laughs> fuck I do not give about the Venom movie. Yeah. It's like, really? This is the thing that's happening? Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's a trailer with no Venom. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they, they've been saying eventually there's going to be some clunkers. I think we might be seeing our first one. 
That's not a Marvel movie. Sony is taking point on the ancillary characters. Still, it's whatever they're going to do at this point now will reflect on Marvel. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Kevin Feige better get it on the goddamn phone and be like, you know what? <laughs> if you want our checks to come on time, yeah. you better keep your shit together. It's Because it, it, it's inescapable at this point. Uh, look, at least it's not Sinister Six. <laughs> I mean, my God, dude. Okay, we'll we'll put some poor dupe in. Uh, if there I'll... was anything that should have just been a web series, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, for Sinister Six, what do we got? Well, we've got. Uh... <laughs> Christ, I said his name and I already forgot it. Who played the Rhino? Um, Paul, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti. Yeah, we've got Paul Giamatti <laughs> as one of our super villains. Yeah, we'll put some poor dupe in Alfred Molina's. Uh, Doc Ock costume. Uh, we'll, we'll find people. Don't worry. It's under control. <laughs> Let's also make Peter... Uh, Day he, in the life of the shocker. Go. Yeah. From the same people who, who gave notes in the Sony leaks of, can we make Peter an EDM enthusiast, if not a full-on DJ? Jesus. <laughs> well, you know, it's Sony, and they got a... Promote synergy! <laughs> Just no. Just say no. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's too early. I've learned, even though I'll ask the question for each one of them uh, th- that we see, I think it's too early for me to rank this. It's definitely top five. Yeah, I, of I, Marvel movies. I'm feeling at this point that I've seen so. I, I've forgotten more about Marvel movies than I remember at this point. It's really true because watching Civil War last night, I'm like, oh god, I forgot this, and I forgot this is even better than I remember, and I, I have a good opinion of Civil War in general. Yeah. So at some point, I'm going to have to sit down and and just sort of pile up all the DVDs and Blu-rays and figure out, is it worth it to watch them through from soup to nuts? No, because there's a couple (laughs) Thors in there, and I refuse. (laughs) I'll watch the Hulk. (laughs) I'll watch the Incredible Hulk before fucking Thor the Dark World. Could do without Thor almost completely, except for the third one. Because I just feel like... yeah, like, you know, I, I had quibbles with Iron Man 3, but what would I like it better now that I've seen other things? Like, it, would um, Avengers Age of Ultron be more meaningful to me if I had just come off of having watched Avengers? Like, <laughs> we can try it at some point. I'll, I'll bit Thor and Thor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when's the next long weekend coming up? We, uh, we need more than a long weekend to this point. Aren't there like, like an 18 Yeah, I'm going to do this over my April vacation. <laughs> All right, apparently I'm taking vacation time to rewatch movies. <laughs> okay, I'll need some beer. <laughs> but yeah, at this point, I mean, when did when did the first Iron Man come out? Uh, 10 years ago. Jesus Christ. Yeah, 2008. <laughs> I, I, I rewatched some scenes from it on, uh, on YouTube and... Uh, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. was not young then, but man, he was a child compared to Civil War. Yeah, I'm going by my gut to say Winter Soldier, but at the same time, I think of how awesome the first Guardians of the Galaxy was, and that's a whole separate different thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's and it's also hard because, yeah, sometimes these things on first view, generally they're more exciting on first view, and sometimes they gain or lose esteem on reviews. That's why I love Blu-rays, and I will never just say, oh, I'm just going to stream everything. By God, last night I went Civil War. I knew I could watch it. Yeah. So 
Uh, yeah, I'm not going to give it a direct rank. It's it's up there with. I still think Winter Soldier is number one, but it's up there with with that Guardians of the Galaxy two. Yeah, probably Avengers. Uh, yeah, it, it's somewhere in that top five. <laughs> if only because yeah, Killmonger was a really good villain. Yeah. yeah, with a with a sense of discipline to say, you know what? I think I'm going to kill 526 people, so I'd better space my kill scars <laughs> to make sure I got room. Because <laughs> otherwise, I'd be like, oh shit, where am I going to put this guy? I, maybe I can burn myself under my eyelid. <laughs> baby, baby, I need you to come over here and scar my ass. <laughs> no, this is not a new kink. <laughs> All right. So yeah, good movie. Um <laughs> Should we talk briefly? Yeah, let's let's get away from good stuff. Uh, should we talk briefly about Doomsday Clock 3, three weeks late? Yeah, I'm tired of talking about awesome things. All right, <laughs> All right Doomsday Clock 3, uh, written by Jeff Johns, uh, art by Gary Frank. Um, yeah, in my notes about this book, literally the first thing I mistyped was Doomsday Cock. <laughs> I swear that uh, has no bearing on my thoughts about this book. Sure. Uh, what was your impression uh, Welp. I, uh, I I will say there was more in this than I that I liked uh, than I did about the second one, but it's it's deeply deeply flawed. And my original plan of we have to talk about all the Doomsday Clock books may not make sense because there are just deep flaws that they can't get around. I had difficulty with this book getting past pages two through four, wherein Jeff John suddenly decided that rather than Dr. Manhattan simply being able to see and experience all points of time simultaneously, he could then fuck with it. Yes, please explain. Spoilers, by the way. Apparently, uh, he has now gained the power to manipulate the space-time continuum. So, whereas we had seen in the original Watchmen, he could um, perhaps initiate life on a planet for his own amusement. Yes, <laughs> he has that kind of power to manipulate things at an atomic level. Yes, that's something he absolutely could try to do. Apparently, his ability to manipulate life at the atomic level now involves ripping it out of reality and placing it in a new parallel dimension reality. We, we see the final moments of the fight between the comedian and Ozymandias. The comedian falls from the window to his absolute unshakable death. And nope. Nobody on the sidewalk. Instead, we see him wash up from the water like he's Senator Kelly in the first X-Men movie. (laughs) (laughs) Or Senator Kennedy from Massachusetts. Either way. (laughs) And we said we weren't going to get political. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he says, Doc? And uh, now we're trying to figure out. Yeah, because then the comedian takes on Ozymandias again. Yeah, I mean, uh, in Doomsday Clock 2, my thought was that the comedian was actually Saturn Girl uh, using her powers to appear like the comedian for whatever reason because Saturn Girl was a big part of DC Universe. Uh, DC Universe. Wow, Ballast Point IPA. DC <laughs> Universe Rebirth uh, number uh, number one. Uh, no, it's, it's actually the comedian. Uh, yeah, Manhattan saved him from his fall. And yeah, we've we've talked about this before, and this is one of the points that is going to keep coming up, and it is an underlying flaw in the book that I, I figure, and I don't want to repeat myself 12 fucking times over the next year of, oh, here's the problem with Doomsday Clock, so maybe we should just talk about this if something interesting happens in Doomsday Clock. Yeah. But yeah, Dr. Manhattan can see and experience time. He cannot 
change it. Right. That is his tragedy in Watchmen. He has immeasurable power, but it's meaningless up to a certain point because he has no free will in which he can exercise it. Right. He experiences all time. He cannot travel through it. He just experiences it as it happens to him. Now, he can move back through his experience and re-experience it. He can move forward through his experience and understand what he is going to do. He has no free will. It is tragic. There is nothing he can do to change his circumstances. Yeah, he he lives in between fixed points in time. And to then decide that, oh, no, what actually happened was he, he ripped the comedian out of one timeline and put him in another timeline in another reality. Now you're in fanfic. You you are because yes, the the <laughs> only way Manhattan could have saved Blake would be to go back in time and intercept him as he fell, which would mean he not only can move back in his experience but alter it. And and then sidestep his experience. And yes, it would absolutely be a sidestep because we know the comedian fell to his death in Watchmen. The third panel of Watchmen is Kovacs walking through the blood on the sidewalk. It's so we know he hit the dirt. And it's the problem I've been complaining about since the comedian's badge got found in the Batcave. That badge with all the blood scraped off it from Dan Dryberg's thumbnail... It's in the comedian's grave where they buried him. Yes. He's dead. Dr. Manhattan doesn't have the power to do this. And it's the underlying problem across all of Doomsday Clock. They're giving him power he doesn't have. And yeah, sure, it's a comic book. You can do anything you want, but it's it's a comic book that's extending a classic that is beloved that requires characters to have certain powers and experiences to have the effect that it does. Doomsday Clock, as of issue three, has completely invalidated Watchmen. Yes. It's the comedian is not dead. (laughs) The events of the first three issues didn't really happen. Manhattan lives within fixed points. So what you're saying is that he really hasn't been experiencing all of the points in his timeline Somehow he's been missing some because somebody moved a goalpost. Yes. And it it just, it doesn't work. Yeah. It just invalidates the reality and the world building that Moore put into the original series. Yeah. And as as long as the underlying theory behind this is that Dr. Manhattan can do these things, I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to complain about the same shit every time. And... (laughs) There's a reason we don't charge for this show. It's already repetitive enough. I don't want to get repetitive to that point. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, so so to counter that, um, Ozymandias and the comedian fight again this time. Ozymandias is the one that goes out the window and seems to be lying dead and lifeless on the sidewalk at the conclusion of that fight. Oh, no, he's he totally got away. He, he he's, is, got, he's, he's injured, but he'll he'll get away. He's not dead. You think so? It's he's not moving, and his his little cat's all like. Rrr. It's he's not moving, but he to get to that point between the the weird fall and slide down the roof and hit the awning and oh, not the awning, the uh, window washer thing, and have that swing down. No, and, it's an awning. 
Well, he hit the window washer thing. Window and then washer he, then thing he hit the awning. And then an awning. So yeah, <laughs> he, he's alive. They're not... <laughs> I don't think Jeff Johns has the balls to kill a Watchmen character. He's already brought one back to life. Yes. It's, so the comedian might be fair game because he's already dead in Watchmen. So they may kill him again. Right. He doesn't have the stones to kill a fucking Watchmen character. I dare you, motherfucker. <laughs> I fucking dog dare you. <laughs> so moving moving past the, the usual complaint, what else did you think of this issue? I am trying to look at these charitably because... Clearly, Jeff Johns is swinging for the fences here. He's really pushing himself and trying to do things that he's never done before. Now, part of the problem is he's trying to do things that Alan Moore did 30 years ago, and Jeff Johns is not Alan Moore. He's never going to be Alan Moore. But he's he's trying things, and some of them are legitimately interesting. The Nathaniel Dusk story and movie that we're seeing here. Yes. Yeah, look, one of the big deals about Watchmen was Tales of the Black Freighter, the Maroon story, that was a meta-narrative about the story itself. Right. Yeah, you know, the, the concept of a guy riding on the bodies of his former teammates in an effort to save the world, but winding up only killing the people he loved and like dooming himself in the process. That's a pretty decent wrap-up of Adrian Veet's arc. Yeah. Uh, you, it works pretty well for Rorschach, too. You can almost point it at almost anybody in Watchmen. Pretty much, yeah. It's it works pretty well, and Johns is clearly trying to do the same thing with this Nathaniel Dusk movie. It's it's not entirely clear what he's using the movie to comment on yet because it's only the third issue. But uh, you know, we've got a guy who lost his family investigating the murder of a dude named Tempest. Yep. Now that's Latin for time, so it, it's all but screaming. He's doing meta narrative about time travel. Uh, the other victim is Bentley Farmer. Mm-hmm. which is Dusk's brother-in-law. So I'm guessing Farmer is Superman somehow because, you know, again, Dr. Manhattan is supposed to be a comment on Superman. Mm-hmm. So if the Farmer is the brother-in-law, that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, so it's he's, he's got enough here where it's it's interesting interesting enough to me that I'm trying to figure out what the connections are. Um, yeah, it's, he's got him playing chess, and I can see Jeff John's saying, oh, I'll do some kind of, you know, Ingmar Bergman, Seventh Seal kind of thing, because that's the kind of thing Alan Moore might do. <laughs> you know, something smart like that. Uh, somebody arrives at Dusk's door, um, you know, where Dusk is sitting there with a gun because he does, doesn't know who it is. If you look at that panel, the shadow behind the door kind of looks like a teleportation effect. Okay. So, yeah, that is one of the more interesting parts of the book, even though it also kind of feels like John's showing off looking, look, I can do what Alan Moore did. <laughs> and particularly when you get to the back matter that, about Carter Coleman, the guy who played Dusk in the movie, who, oh no, this uh, this actor just appeared out of nowhere. He's got this story about being a, from a farm in the Midwest, and there's a, an intimation that the story's all crap. and uh, that So there's sort of this intimation, maybe Dr. Manhattan is... Carter yeah, Coleman. Well, because they also say you know, they they investigated the house, and the only thing that was missing from Coleman was a watch supposedly given to him by his parents. That was his only possession that he brought with him to Hollywood. But then upon further investigation of the house, oh, a secret room was found where he has all of these watches. Yeah. So it's... It, the <laughs> so but, it's, but he also... There's a letter found that's from... 
what might be his actual mom, and she's uh, related to the Sabella crime family. <laughs> yeah, so that but there's this intimation that intimate the Ballast Point Brewing Company Fathom <laughs> IPA kids. Wow, it packs a punch. <laughs> maybe they'll sponsor me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway, it, there's a theory that maybe Manhattan took over for this guy. Um, that said. Okay, Jeff, I, I get it, but Alan Moore never made the comment that maybe Max Shea, the guy who wrote Marooned, that was like the reincarnation of H.P. Lovecraft or any right. kind of shit like that. So, N- Nor has there ever been any indication that Manhattan, to my knowledge, can shapeshift in such a way that he wouldn't be blue and glowing. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? If he can manipulate at the molecular uh, atomic level, I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. no because i think that if he could try to fit in he he would have yeah except i don't because part of manhattan's whole arc was i'm not human anymore so why do i care like almost from the word go right but you know in this particular society where there's already heroes (laughs) Uh, maybe it's you potentially have a point but i'm I'm also trying very hard with this not, and and I'm failing a lot, and I know it, but I'm trying not to be a rules lawyer of this can't be right because this. But I I think you can't not be a rules lawyer. The second that Johns goes off in his own little world and decides, nah, you know what? The the rules that were set up by by Alan Moore, fuck them. I'm going to give him this skill set. Yeah, but I think you can take that too far. I think it is a completely legitimate argument to say Dr. Manhattan, his tragedy is that he perceives time, but he cannot really travel through it. I think it's totally legitimate to say what is happening here does not make sense based on what happened in Watchmen. I think it's also legitimate to say just because you didn't see a thing in Watchmen doesn't mean it can't happen. And a prime example of that is Marionette and Mime. Okay. Mime has... What it, you know for three issues he's been pointing his finger like he has a gun. Clearly, in this case, he has a gun. It's an invisible gun. He shoots people with it. Yes. Um, now, while I didn't like where Mime and Marionette went in this, I'm willing to accept that in a world with plastics and polymers created by Doctor Manhattan, there might be completely transparent metals and plastics that you could make a fucking forty-five out of. Sure. It requires a great leap of faith because that would mean that every single part of the gun, from the grips to the barrel to the springs to the fucking gunpowder, would have to be made of this transparent shit. But okay, I'm willing to accept that that's possible. There's less about the Mime and Marionette stuff that we see in this that I'm happy about, but that I'm willing to take. Right. So I'm also willing to take, just because I never saw Dr. Manhattan try to pass as human, if he has that kind of ability to manipulate things at the atomic level, I can see him being able to... Uh, look, if he can snap his fingers and create an oxygen bubble, I can see him snapping his fingers and saying, I'm going to create a little layer, one atom above me, that looks like flesh color and clothes and whatever. Okay. Uh, I'm willing to accept that. I, I, I want to try to give Jeff Johns the benefit of the doubt, even while... I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt over here. These underpinnings of, oh, Dr. Manhattan can do anything doesn't make any sense at all. So I'm I'm trying to. So I'm I'm willing to accept that, fine, Dr. Manhattan could 
come in and decide I'm going to look like this actor. Okay. Or or this dude, and I'm going to say, oh, I was this person. So I'm I'm okay with that for now. All right. Until that doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I like the Nathaniel Dusk stuff. I thought it was ambitious, particularly for Jeff Johns, even though Alan Moore was knocking that shit out, you know, <laughs> half dosed on mescaline, <laughs> you know, back when I was in high school. Uh, what else? Is there, is there anything else I liked in this? I'm just going back through uh, my notes. I, I liked how John's handled Batman and Rorschach. Yes. <laughs> Although it was a little tragic for Rorschach. It, it was. It's not over. We're only only a quarter away through this. Uh, look, John's, up until now at least, has avoided turning Batman and Rorschach into a fight. I don't want to see them fight. I, I'm not... And I'm, it would go quickly, one would think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am nearly 47 years old. I don't go to schoolyards. I, I don't, I'm long past arguing who would win in a fight. I don't want to bandy around phrases like one punch, but pretty sure it would yes. be over quickly. <laughs> and, and it should be. And the problem is, since it should be, I don't want to see it. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Um, how he handled that with Batman analyzing this situation and treating him like a human being and making the assessment that, okay, this person, this doesn't make any sense what I'm reading. This is probably somebody who is insane. Uh, and because of that, I can trick him and immobilize him without having to do anything. Uh, that worked for me. That made total sense. Yeah. So I like that. I in no way think we're going to get from issue four to issue 12 without those two throwing down. And I'll be sad when it happens, unless somehow it's treated in a way better than I think it can be. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what did you think about that? No, I I did like it. I It almost felt, though, a little bit too easy. All right, fine. This guy clearly is a danger to himself and others. I don't know how he found his way into the bat cave, but there's enough problems going on right now in the world where people want me to unmask and this guy knows my name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm still not a fan of this whole Superman conspiracy because <laughs> I don't know where it fits into DC history. Yeah. But, okay. Again, we've had a rewriting of DC history since rebirth. Let's see how it rides out. Yeah. Because uh, I, I can't tell right now. I did find it interesting. They gave us a little insight into who this new Rorschach is. Um, he was in a car on his way to try to get to his parents when the event went down and the giant squid monster showed up. Actually, yeah. Now that you mention it, I like that he didn't milk that. You know, at least for right now, he's just some dude. Yeah. It's like, okay, great. Uh, fine. He's some dude. He's some dude who somehow got his hands on Rorschach Journal and having gone through this, arguably having been driven insane by the sight of the big vaginal alien <laughs> in issue 12 of Watchmen. Okay, that and this pushed him over the edge to become Rorschach. Great, fine. I, I like that. Don't, yeah. don't tease me with it. Uh, just say, fine, he's a dude. I, I like that. <laughs> it gives me some hope, actually. Right. I mean, was there anything beyond what we talked about that you liked? I, I must admit, I, I think I enjoyed the the mime and marionette bit a little bit better than you did. <laughs> Just the balls of, all right, they and they don't know until they're in the thick of it. They go looking for a drink, and and they're all done up as as them themselves as criminals, which involves a certain amount of white face paint and with with great Gary Frank world setting of a lot of the stuff that I remember from Killing Joke, the yeah. posters and. So, okay, he, he sets up where they are. Right. 
and they have no reason to know where they are <laughs> because they're like, right. are you in Jersey? <laughs> yeah. uh, Even and, in the DC universe, the worst place you can find yourself. <laughs> and they walk into this bar, a dive bar. They want a drink. It seems like it ought to be at their level, but it turns out it's, it's part of Joker's turf and they take poorly to what they perceive as cosplay in their dive bar. <laughs> as one does. Uh, because they find it disrespectful to the Joker. They have no idea who the Joker is, so they, they kill everybody in the bar. And <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And I, I will say, uh, again, to give a nod to Gary Frank, a great, well-choreographed, well-visualized yes. fight scene. Excellent fight scene. Brutal. I, I didn't actually realize that Marionette has what appears to be like fucking super strength because she cuts somebody's gun in half. <laughs> Again, I'm willing to accept in a world with Dr. Manhattan-made materials, a, a monomolecular ballast point brewing company, Fathom IPA, <laughs> four of them will render you speechless. <laughs> a monomolecular uh, line, like uh, back in the William Gibson... Uh, uh, yeah, filament or something. Yeah, monofilament line. Because, uh, yeah, didn't Molly Millions have that? or No, she fought a dude who had it. Yeah, no, she had, like, she had razor fingernails. Right. But, there, yeah, there was a dude who had a spool of it in his thumb, and right. he used it as uh, a garret slash whip to, right. to carve off body parts in, uh, yeah, Johnny Mnemonic, the story, not the movie. Oh, yeah, no, it is It is a, a, a filament line. You can see it in the this bottom middle panel. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm willing to accept that. I'm willing to accept yeah. Joe Blow with the right tool could... Yeah, cut a gun in half like it's butter. I'm okay with that. Yeah, but it, it involves a certain amount of strength and agility on top of that because you can't just rely on the razor line. <laughs> she said True. like she knew what she was fucking talking about. <laughs> <laughs> my head's still on. If you could chop my head off with a line. Um, but then, yeah, then then they, they have a drink and then they decide that they want to go looking for the Joker. I'm curious about that. I am legitimately curious about that. I'm going to cringe when it finally happens, but I'm curious. Yeah, it was it was a well-executed scene, but again, it comes back to the logic of the original Watchmen universe uh, as shown by Alan Moore. Do you think that Laurie Jaspeksik could fight Mime and Marionette without being murdered? Or Dan Dryberg? Oh, God, no. Or anybody except arguably Adrian Veet, who caught a bullet. They had difficulty taking on muggers. And I'm willing to accept that even when that happened, they were <laughs> 10 years past their prime. But yeah, if people are fighting on this level, I've never seen any evidence. I mean... Well, it explains why Manhattan shows up for the the majority of ones who seem like they have any juice. And, and that's possible. As opposed to Night Owl. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's very possible that, yeah, okay, yeah, we left those alone. We let Dr. Manhattan deal with those. Because, yeah, Captain Metropolis would have died long before if yeah. people could fight at this level. It's that we never saw any evidence except, yeah, maybe Adrian being able to catch that bullet. And Adrian was supposed to be the finest tip-top of yeah. physical conditioning in the original Watchmen universe. If these were the costume villains running around it would have killed the Minutemen and the crime busters long before we got to watchmen yeah because it because it comes down to you know they're willing to fight dirty whereas the heroes have to live by heroic code so they're getting all of this tech to do whatever it is they need to do yeah but and, and yeah the more i think about it it, it doesn't it still doesn't make sense because it's 1992 
when uh, when Veet and the new Rorschach and these two leave the Watchmen universe just ahead of the bomb. So again, let's remember, the Watchmen universe has been nuked into oblivion. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but the Keen Act was passed in 1977, so these guys have been on ice for 15 years. Yes. And can still fight this way, and yet, yeah, facing up against a bunch of not-tops... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Silk Spectre and Night Owl are kind of barely holding their own. I mean, you can make the argument, you know, they're spending their days in prison doing planks and crunches, but... <laughs> I guess, and certainly Dan Dryberg was not. No. <laughs> but, so yeah, just the level of skill that they display doesn't make any sense given anything that we saw in the original watch. No. It's a great sequence. It's an awesome battle scene. But in the back of my head, I'm like, God, he they would have killed everybody. <laughs> There would, none of the costumed heroes would have been left yeah, in Watchmen. I mean, more likely you, you want to be taking your cues from Batman Beyond with Granny Harley. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to hold on to stuff in this that I like, that I find impressive, that I, I see Jeff Johns really pushing himself. And, and I do see things, but again, the problem is certain underpinnings are just, they, they assume that you don't remember the original Watchmen or that... It doesn't matter. We can just change that. And uh, look, DC owns it. You want to change it, uh, that's fine. But you're not going to make any friends here. No. But I think think there is more to what you're talking about in terms of Manhattan somehow being involved in this Nathaniel Dusk story. Uh, This Alastair Tempest, who's one of the characters. Yeah. He shot right between the eyes. Yep. Who would have a circle on their forehead right between their eyes? <laughs> yeah. So clearly there's a meta narrative there that like Tales from the Black Fla- the Freighter. <laughs> I got to start doing this show sober. Why it doesn't start, help. Why start now? Doesn't help. Tales of the Black Freighter. Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> slash marooned. Uh, that when it's all said and done will we'll make sense. For right now as a mystery to be noodled over, I'm enjoying that part. Yeah. I'm looking over up in the corner where I have a statue of the comedian. He's my favorite character from this. I never wanted to see him alive again. The fact that he's actually alive again, I'm pissed. For God's sake, he was a monster, but let him die with dignity. Yeah. Back in 1985 when he fucking died. So if Nathaniel Dusk's story is connected to Dr. Manhattan and they're they're getting into this whole thing, is it called the atonement or the adjournment? Which is he, uh, Dusk's character has um, has to deal with the love of his life having left him, Joyce. Which means it has to be connected to, to Laurie in some fashion. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's too early to see how that's going to play out. I'm encouraged enough that it's something that's interesting and made me think for a while. Look, John's is successful here in that these are slow reads that I pour over and try to find things the way that I tried to find them as I was reading Watchmen for the first time when I was 16 years old. Yeah. The underpinnings are flawed and they make me angry, but he's trying. There's there's something to these books. But, I mean, that said, I'm going to complain about the same shit over and over again. And if he continues to reach and say oh no this thing uh, it turns out that it turns out that Rorschach was black all the time or some goddamn thing it's it you I don't want I don't want to complain about the same thing every You week. can't escape the fact that this book consistently despite 
everybody's best effort feels as though you're right. This is all of those childhood sandbox arguments about what if. Right. And yeah. and it's never going to rise above what if. And one would think they had gotten this nonsense out of their system with the negative, strongly negative, overwhelmingly negative response to the new 52. What if Superman and Wonder Woman were dating? What if? <laughs> yeah, and even before that with Countdown, there was a... What was the series they had where it was like an arena where various versions of characters from different universes would fight? Um, fuck. I, I can't remember it, but it was... Convergence. Spe- uh, no, no, that was during New 52. This was during Countdown. Oh. Uh, oh, I remember. But yeah, it was very specifically, okay, we've reintroduced uh, 52 universes so we can have Dark Knight, Batman, and this other version of Batman fighting these various jokers and it was a, it was a mini series i can't remember what it was but clearly it stuck to my brain uh, yeah but uh, yeah we've seen shit like this and it's uh, yeah it look i'd like to believe that there are children reading comics but yeah so in any event it it i suppose we survived the foolishness that was the new 52 this too shall pass uh, yeah it's i'm going to try to take what I can out of this. I, like I said, they're dense reads, uh, which, and they have some interesting parts and there are things that I have, okay, that's good execution uh, in, in each step of the way. I just, I, I don't want to find myself talking about all these and every single time saying, Dr. Manhattan can't do that. Yeah. And I don't know if that's going to go away. So I think whether or not we talk about continuing doomsday clock books will be, all right, is there something specifically interesting in this one? Or am I just going to bitch about the same shit? Okay. All that's right. fair. So yeah, there, there was encouraging stuff here, but the same shit that's wrong with it is going to be wrong with it no matter what. Am I wrong for... for yeah, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> feeling that as though when uh, Mime and Marionette do inevitably find the Joker, hopefully Harley will be with the Joker and that Mime and Marionette will finally get their asses handed to them? Uh, no, I think you're absolutely on point with that. Because I'm feeling like what I'm going to see is actually um, Joker and Harley are going to get their asses kicked. <laughs> I think we'll I think we'll probably get there. Okay. All right. Is that about it? Should we uh should we wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up. You need another beer. Okay. Yes, I do. I'm out of beer, so show's over. Okay. Okay, don't know where you where you found this particular episode. <laughs> Ballast Point Brewing Company. <laughs> Fathom IPA. And you need another one. I do. All right. Don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, find us there, facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. You can send us a message. You can see our horribly sporadic posting there. Uh, we are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at, cri- at, <coughs> at infinite midlife. <laughs> Swirling down the drain. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> we're, we're on Tumblr. Uh, Tumblr.com uh, slash crisis on infinite midlives. Does that sound right? Crisis on Infinite Midlife's .tumblr.com. Dot .tumblr.com. Oh, my God. I'm a, I'm a wreck. I, sh- <laughs> I should have eaten after breakfast before starting to drink these beers. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can find us on iTunes slash uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can subscribe to the show there. Uh, and if you get a minute, if you can give us a rating or give us a review, we'd appreciate intervention. it. Intervention. Intervention would probably help. <laughs> intervention won't help people find the show, but a review or a rating could. <laughs> We are on uh, Google Play Network. We are on Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. 
And you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Did I miss any? Because there's a very good possibility I missed one that time. <laughs> uh, you said at, at Infinite Midlife for Twitter, right? Uh, yes. Okay. I think Twi- Facebook.com slash Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Midlives. Yeah. Okay. I think you got everything. <laughs> we are an excellent operation here. You're not mild mannered. You're often liquored up and rude. <laughs> it has been episode 172 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. Barely. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> I know this now. <laughs> I've already forgotten. <laughs> Ha <laughs>